he gets it the way it was gotten from him he reenacts what happened to him and he exploits little kids and takes advantage of their private parts or gets them to play with his private parts they do both and that experience that sexual experience he gets rid of the kid and then later on he'll arouse himself he makes his to himself using the memory and feeling of what he just did to arouse himself and put himself into the mood for sexual activity with himself this is what this is what a kid will do this is called harvesting because of this we you know we're so clueless because the kid touched him he touched him like number one it very often ruins their life because of all the things I told you developmentally with the little one but we don't even understand what happened and we tend to minimize it because he just touched him as if what the whole sugya is really about is he's harvesting this material for his own excuse me for his own pleasure which happens later and private and that you don't hear about you hear about two kids who got pushed in there and this kid pulled his hands down and touched him and that's what you hear and that's the sugya there's another sugya sugya is number one his sexual development is ruined he may grow up at puberty and discover that he doesn't have desire he has no negative desire for men he's ruined he has interest in sexuality he's ruined he's not in our sugya he's ruined his whole sexual development one might of harvesting and this kid runs off to masturbate himself somewhere else later on and has no clue that kid what he just did to this kid and in all honesty when you catch him later on and you put the sugya there he has no clue what he's done he didn't mean to do that he was like looking for stimulatory he has no clue he did a mice of abuse to him you say he, he was a victim himself yes he has not put it together when you go through treatment they all fall apart because they begin to get the whole story you have to go through all this in treatment and when they go through I promise you they are racked with pain when they realize I'm going to come to something about this in a moment that's very profound <laughs> the last one before I do a repetition is babysitting this is like this is probably the most provocative painful thing I've ever said publicly about this sugya just when we mocked him this leaves people with nightmares this is like the worst of the worst years ago when I ran my seminary I've always been interested in research it just bothers me when people just give like sforas I, I just something just irks me it's wrong we ought to you know, be a little bit more scientific and acknowledge, I don't know. So, Sugi, I don't know. So, let me study it. Let me try it. So, I've always been interested more in my failures than my successes. I've always been, this always fascinates me what I fail at. In one of my conferences recently, Nefesh Conference, I gave a, a workshop, the, the, my t- the 10 worst mistakes I've made so far as a therapist. I felt there's a better teaching tool than all the things I do good. It bothers me. And what bothered me in this sugya is I realized I started trying to write numbers down of how many kids we treated and treated and did not help. They didn't get better. And then I compared it with some of my colleagues. And what we discovered is that about a third do not do well in treatment, actually get worse. About two-thirds get better. That means really of every three kids we treat, two get better and one gets worse. Not just not better, worse. I didn't have this. And I realized I'm asking around, and I spoke to David Pelkowitz and my colleagues and other people, and they said the same thing. No one understood why this is happening. One day, I decided to do a crazy thing, and I took up this subject with the girls in my seminary. And I sat down with them. One day I was there 
I used to visit a lot you know it's a small you know it's a school and I worked with them and I asked them this question if they have any ideas why and they threw it around with me we had all sorts of spoilers they're a bit silly at first and then they get very serious and they're very personal and I see one of the girls is very 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 silent she hasn't said a word so I ask her if I I said I noticed you're very quiet you know can I ask you she says no okay you know, by me, they're saying, yes, please. You know, poor girl, they all know that. So I told you, you said the wrong thing. Anyway, I started pushing her, and I saw she got very, very, very defensive. And then a strange thing happened. I moved my chair closer to her. I asked the other girls to leave. They left. And I asked her, do you mind? I think we may be onto something to help you. Do you mind if I push you? Give me Rishus, I'll push you. But you got to give me Rishus. And she gave me Rishus. She gave me a shush. And I started pushing her. Now, pushing in therapy is brutal. You know, because everything you say is wrong. You know, you throw it back in their face. Every single thing you say, you, you do it nicely, of course. You don't do it threateningly, but you throw back that that wasn't actually what I asked you. You dodge the bullet. You know, you answer this way, not that way. You, you begin to get a feeling. So you ask a question. What you're listening for is not the answer. It's what's wrong with the answer. In therapy, you're always listening for they're not saying what they are saying. What they are saying is a cover. It's what's not being said is what that therapy is chal in what they're not saying, not in what they are saying. What they are saying is a bluff. So you tune yourself in so that when you ask a question, you almost intuitively eventually realize you're listening for the, the imperfections in the answer. So I, that's what I mean, going after someone, because it's a very hard experience. That everything they say, you hammer them back. You throw it back in their face. And I pushed and pushed her, and it was getting very painful. At one point, she started really screaming at me, stop it, stop it, stop it. I said, if you really want me to stop it, tell me you really want me to stop it. But if you're saying stop it, stop it, you're just hurting, and I'm going to keep going. And she didn't, and I kept going. Then she jumped up and ran out of the room, and she ran down the street. She ran out of the building and down the street. It was on a Friday night, this thing. And I ran after her. I went after her. And I found her crouched at the bottom of a, a thing, like holding herself, you know, her knees, crying bitterly down the road from the school. And I stood next to her. Actually, I sat down next to her, and I started pushing again. And eventually, after cursing me out a few times, you know, which is, means I'm getting somewhere, so she cursed me out a few times and begged me to stop. But I knew she didn't want me to stop. I pushed her. And then she told me the truth, and I was devastated. After I got this information, I never would have thought it in my life. But I learned two things from her that night, and I took the, that information. I was shattered when I heard it. I took the information, and I started doing research. So I gently started inquiring of all the cases that I messed up on, as many as I could, the ones we didn't treat. I went back to many of those to take a look again. And I even called up some of the kids and asked them and talked to them about it. And then it was, the truth came out. It was devastating. Number one, what we all missed, and this is part of the next section, is that we missed the whole story. We, in the next section, you see in 9A, treatment, typical treatment model assumes you're a victim, not the villain. Well, guess what? We totally forgot that a third of the kids repeat. So here we're doing therapy on the assumption of a model that's built around a concept of you're a victim, not a villain, totally forgetting what we all know anyway. We just didn't... This is the model they all use, by the way. 
I don't do it anymore. I've completely abandoned it. It's a destructive model. They still use it all over the place in sexual abuse treatment. You're the victim, not the villain. This is the ethos. This is the language. And it's utterly foolish and wrong. And I'll show you what's the right language soon. And I realized I fell into that too because that's how I got trained. I did that thing. And what she reminded me, she said she was still doing it. She was still doing it. So here she's in my school. We're in intense therapy. We're working through, she's got individual therapy, group counseling, and she's still sexually abusing children. And then we realize a full third of the kids repeat. And they don't repeat once. They repeat sometimes hundreds of times. A third of all kids who get abused will repeat sometimes hundreds of times. They lose count of how many times they've done it. So that was the first thing that realized, I realized we were shattered because our whole model of treatment is wrong. Because we're actually re-traumatizing kids. Can you imagine doing a treatment of you're the victim, not the villain, and you build a whole mountain about the villain, the person who did it to you, to a person who's doing it to other people? So of course they got worse in treatment. How are they ever going to get better? You're re-traumatized. The treatment itself, Kufa, makes them worse. I believe that has a, a direct corollary to the kids who OD and die on drugs are those who we've treated them into death. We've, we've killed them. And we have lots of kids who OD and die. By the way, the boys OD on drugs. The girls, it's always like anorexia. They died of anorexia. They didn't. They killed themselves. They couldn't deal with the abuse. And there's lots of kids like that. But I learned something even worse. I learned something worse, yeah. You missed out a statement. <coughs> we've spoken about how the girl's the villain and not the victim. <coughs> the girl, she, this girl, was actively abusing children. I'm about to say it. Yeah, no, I didn't miss it. I was about to say it. I, I, I have to tell you something. I bring myself with such reluctance to even say it because it's so painful. But I'll just tell you the facts. As you noticed, I wrote the word babysitting, oi. And that's why I wrote it. They abuse children they babysit. These girls typically are employed because they're off the derrick, they're on school, they're available, they're out there, and they're given access to children as babysitters. And I didn't realize the numbers of these kids that would use children they babysat to arouse themselves. They would use the kids. They would actually, some of the girls, have intercourse with little boys that they were babysitting. They would stimulate them and then play with themselves and have intercourse with them. They would play with them for the self-stimulation and the harvesting. They would do all sorts of acts with kids they babysit. And I'm going to explain something now that, in my humble opinion, is I'm going to be honest with you, is completely anecdotal. I have no proof for what I'm going to say. And the only reason I have the goal to say it is because I've discussed this with kids countless times. And this may answer a very, very, very big kasha. We have met many kids who we've worked with who have all the signs of sexual abuse with no memory of it happening. I knew countless kids like that. We see them in therapy. They're fully traumatized. They've got all the things that I've described in their reaction to sexual abuse. They're missing one thing. They have no memory. They have no memory. Now, we do know that it's very common in dissociative disorder that you dissociate. You separate from the memories. That's partial by me. That someone could be raped and then not remember it because they it's so heinous, they, they can't remember the thing. Okay. 
But there's another sug of kids who have told me that I always was interested in my private parts. Ever since I'm a little kid. I don't know why. I've always been interested in sexuality. The kids themselves said this, who was then molested by someone else later on. But they tell me, report to me, that my whole life, I've always been playing myself and interested in myself. And I don't know why. I don't know what that's about. We'll talk it out with them. Both boys and girls. Then I discover... There's large volumes of girls, especially, Boise usually don't babysit, it's the girls, who use children and infants they babysit for their sexual pleasure. Which then, the penny dropped. And I wonder, again, I'm saying this anecdotal, I cannot prove this, but I have a very strong feeling that this accounts for the loads of kids I know who have tremendously strong sexual drive and desire with as little kids, we're talking about little kids, they shouldn't have it. They shouldn't belong to them. They have no idea where it came from. They don't know why they have it. They're not puberty. They're way way they tell me at five, six years old they were playing with themselves. Where did they learn this? You speak to the parents, you speak to them, no one has any information. They swear up and down there was no Misa, and they're positive. And I'm positive the way I see the way they're telling me. It's true. They don't have any knowledge or. And then I find loads of girls who will tell me, and now it's standard by me, when I'm treating someone and it doesn't go well, I find the polite, gentle, therapeutic, sensitive way to open this sugya. And you cannot believe. See, I'll do it. I'll tell them a story about someone else, you know, that I'm working with. I wonder what yours is, because this other girl, you know, I'll say something, and then you just watch them when you say the story, and you know it's that's the case. And there's loads of them. I mean, now I recommend to parents, you just don't take one kid. You take two. You just don't take one kid, because it was so common. I know it's just... <laughs> But it accounted for why we were losing these kids in treatment. And at the same time, again, I promise you it's anecdotal. I cannot tell you I can prove any of this, this piece. This is the only piece I can. But that it accounts maybe for why so many kids had have memory and knowledge of themselves, of being sexually active with themselves at five, six, seven, eight years old as little kids with no reason why. Oh, the reporting issue is huge with this. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a different issue. They're never too young. Child's never too young to report. I don't know. No, no, no. I've never heard of anyone reporting babysitters. Never heard of that story ever. I ask the people, and it's, you know, it's a classic thing. When I talk about it with my colleagues, the answer is usually, wow, that's amazing. You should write a paper. Uh, you know, what can I tell you? To me, it's like, it's not, put it this way, the implication, the implication of, I want to just say this. Okay, what was that? I see what happened here, I'm sorry. I, you have to realize this. I understand the implication if this is true. No, it's true that girls molest babies and infants that they babies. That's a fact that that goes on, and much more than we realize. That's a fact, because they've told it to me. So I know it's true. It's also the least likely thing a girl's ever going to admit to, because that's about the most shameful thing. They can, this girl, we had her on suicide watch afterwards, and eventually we hospitalized her. We couldn't keep her. We had to put her in hospital. Although her healing did start then, but we put her in hospital, because we just could. She was suicidal. 
she was suicidal. She called me back that night, Motsi Shabbos, when I left. Late Motsi Shabbos, I got a phone call, and I had to come back to the school, and we had to hospitalize her. Because she, uh, she was cutting and burning, she was going crazy. But our healing did start with that. And the healing of all these kids starts and cannot start till the honest truth of what, they've, what was done to them and what they've done comes out. They cannot heal. And the reason they cannot heal is Pasha. Because they, if they hold on to one single story, one single situation that they feel is too bad to tell you, you'll know, then in their logic they say, Lu Yitzuya, you'd know this, you'd never accept me. So it's all very nice, you love me and you accept me, you want me back in Klali's hole, and you want to help me. That's all very nice and good, but that's based on a premise that's a lie. If you would know this, you'd kick me out. So until every detail comes out, you can't heal. And unfortunately, this detail is a, is a fact. Now, whether that detail explains why so many kids I, we know of who have tremendously strong sexual behavioral, behavioral actions as little kids pre-puberty, that makes no sense. They shouldn't have it. They don't have sexual drive yet. And yet they're playing with themselves and involved in engaging, arousing and soothing themselves sexually as five, six, seven, eight years old when there's no way they have a drive yet. Maybe this sugya explains that sugya. Maybe. Maybe. I've suggested this, by the way, to kids. I had only one case so far that I had where when I said this to the parents, I met with the parents, and I said, I think this is going on, going on, because they reported to me their little child. They were terribly worried, because every time they come in his room, this little boy is, is basically arousing himself, and he's doing it constantly and compulsively, and like any parent, they tried to talk, and, and it was impossible. It was a compulsive, non-stop behavior with this kid. So I suggested to these kids, these parents, because I had nothing else, just this idea. When I said it to them, they both looked at each other with a knowing look. And it turned out that they had actually had a girl off the derech, girl, neighbor, that they thought they were doing a chesed to be her. They thought they were doing chesed to use her as their babysitter. And the mother was a real withered lady and she was being of her and talking to her and they let her babysit. And she admitted it. She admitted it. So I know of one case only where the corollary was direct. But I'm, I'm, I'm presuming that it's actually, it's actually quite widespread. So I, I do suggest, by the way, that when off-the-derech girls are used as babysitters, you take two. Three. Just don't take one. Don't take one. Sorry? I don't have any raya or reason to believe a healthy gazunta girl, you know, is going to go and molest a child, a babysitting child. I don't have any reason. 20% of girls molested. That's an inference that you have to make and decide if you want to make. And it may be the right inference. It may be safer simply to say two, only two, not one. That may be an inference. I'm not going to... I can't yet. Okay. Let's... You know, what should happen now, I'm going to hold it off for the moment, is the is sort of Syatishma, it's not in there, because it's getting late, and I just don't know how to do all this. Um, I thought I'd be finished in an hour, an hour and a half. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize this was going to happen. Uh, nine and ten, would, would they really before nine should be... Um, 
should be specific behavioral indicators suggesting the possibility of sexual abuse is nine, and ten is general behavioral difficulties that are sometimes seen in sexually abused children. Now, I believe these are self-explanatory. No, don't give it out yet. I'll tell you what we're going to do. At the end, we're going to give this out. But these, I realize now, these are obvious. These are obvious, so I think I don't have to go through them. The ind- I just wanted you to have the indicators, so we will give them out. But I think in terms of the, what I'm trying to explain, and there's a mahalach here. I don't know if you see it. I'm trying to walk through a pattern here. They belong here now. What are the indicators? Just a question. Everything that we're hearing is, is very frightening, and you've got a list of indicators there. But how does one avoid the danger of suspected abuse all over the place? Yeah. Because there's a risk. Yeah. Yeah, that's not for now. But that's a huge issue. Um, yeah, and if actually, in, in its worst presentation, that issue has fueled why we've done not much about this. So it's, it's such an important issue. I, not now. It's not. It doesn't fit yet. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I'll say it again. I'll say it again. To say, having heard one presentation, I'm working with this 25 years, and I work with this all day, and most of what I do is related to this. So the temptation to diagnose for anyone or assume anything is, is just patently absurd. However, the, I hope that you've had, I've tried to boil down material so that you have awareness of what the suge is, so that we can have a follow-up, like I said, a, a discussion another time with what to do. And I don't think it's inappropriate when you get these behavioral indicators to ask a professional if you think this may be happening to contact a professional and say look I've said nothing to the child and I don't know that anything's going on or the parents I'm simply saying I heard a workshop I got this information it looks to me like this may be the information hand it to a professional who is already engaged and involved in the sugya and take it from there I don't think that's inappropriate I think that's perfect that was actually part of my goal is to give you real information that's valid and useful but but as far as intervening yet definitely not it takes a long time okay another 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 (laughs) everything that I know there are concepts here I don't know that anyone knows so I'm taking it to the cutting edge We've got, we're looking after 100 kids, we've got 20 kids. Yes. We have this problem. Yes. There's reason to believe that's true. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just want to kind of just say one caveat, just so that no one says this, I'll make it, I'll do it for you. Someone see, sitting here is probably thinking, well, he knows about America, he doesn't know about Gateshead, this is England. You, this should be in someone's head or more than one person, right? This should be there. Let me just tell you, I have treated dozens of kids from Gateshead who've been sexually abused. Dozens. You do not know how many. How many Gateshead people do you think have been through Lakewood? Both as kids, off the derech, kids in high schools and yeshivas, and married. How many do you think we have over there? Hundreds. Hundreds over the years. And I've dealt with dozens who've been sexually abused and talked about it. I've seen divorces destruction of families and kids off the derech coming through sexual abuse right here 
That's not a chiddush. It's not an indictment of gezer. It's everywhere. Just I just don't want anyone to think it's not. It's just a foolish. I mean, I credit you that unlike most communities, this kind of conversation doesn't happen. I credit you. It doesn't happen. People would rather not know. And I must tell you one other thing. Your Kabbalah's poem of this is so unusual. There's usually a riot by now. I have people walking out. What? It's stunned into silence. I'm just telling you the way it is on the ground. This is the facts on the ground. There's a clinician working with the sodium. I'm so sorry if I'm going to give a sleepless night. But there is a very strong Yeah, and I would recommend that for the time being, if any of this information leads someone here to suspect someone was abused, hand that information over to someone who knows something about it. That you'll have to decide who you have here to, to hand it over to. But you'll hand it over. I don't want to say, but that's not my fault. That's not tying on me. Right? Is that fair? It's not tying on me. No, I'm saying if there's no, they don't know who to hand it over to right now, that's certainly not to be on me. Good. Okay. So I'm going to go weiter. Okay. Let's move into... So I'm going to hand out... I'm, I, I look at them and they're all obvious. So this is silly to waste time on going through this. We'll just... Everyone make sure you get this. And it fits right here before number nine in your handout. So you have the indicators. Okay. Treatment considerations. I've said before, the big toes... And I want you to understand in case you ever do work with a professional with a case and they're doing the villains and victims, stop them. Please, it's destructive. Because one in three kids who get that treatment, you're re-traumatizing them. And that's just too high a statistic. So I developed a different model. I'm going to talk to you about it. But in that model, just so you understand it, the concept is between shame... Let's, let's, let's differentiate between shame and embarrassment. Shame, the kids who have shame because of what they've done and what they're still doing in a third of the cases, but all of them for what they've, what they've participated in, causes deep shame. That's toxic shame. It leads to a sense of worthlessness. That worthlessness leads them to a feeling that God rejects me. And that leads to the suicidal ideation, the reckless behavior, and the drug taking. That's posh it. Embarrassment, midrach gisa, it's very good. I always tell kids, it's good to be embarrassed. That helps. That means you have high moral values. A busha is good. Shame is toxic. Shame is about being worthless. Busha is, says you have very high moral values. That we can support. That we can... We can praise a kid and support a kid. That's appropriate. And on the, contra- on, the, on the contrary, with the process of embarrassment, we can support high moral values. How do you do this in class? What do you do in class? You just stop talking? Okay. I don't think that will work here. Okay. Um, However, as I said, this simple model, which is the model everyone uses, that is the model of treatment. It fails because it re-traumatizes a third of the kids. And to me, that's just not a risk I'm willing to take. So I, I abandoned that model. So if you find professionals, that is the model. And if you find professionals essentially using that model, see if you can suggest a different model. Because in our world, I mean, really, Goyim, you know, whatever, bring, move away from that model. Here's the model we want to use. The model... Shame for guilt. 
Say again? Oh, oh, the lambdas, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, no, it's in the English. You can change, yeah, absolutely, for sure. But whatever the, I, I actually mean the word toxic shame. Shame means toxic shame. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it means. I agree. Yeah. It, toxic shame means a shame where Kaddish Baruch Hu looks at me as a reject. I'm unacceptable. Not where I'm Molly Bush and Chlim and I want to be close to Rabbi and get over it. That's the, that's the model that's used. And it's still a wrong model, by the way. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to have Yish, exactly. And it's still the wrong model. Yish, exactly. Now, what's the right model? The right model I've moved to, that I use now, is about accountability and responsibility. And in this, I find the involvement of a Rav or Rebetzin together with me is crucial. It's really crucial. We shift to accountability and responsibility, which means like this. You are not accountable for what happened to you. And by extension, you were a child. I, I, I work with a model with the kids. I, I take a liberty. I take a lot of liberties, actually. But one, I'm, I'm talking about sort of Torah liberties. I, and Meshkech and I have it out many times. You know, sometimes he feels I go too far. But I let him rein me in because I need that, and that's fine. But for example, for example, the liberties include things like you don't get cars till you're 20. Right? You don't get cars till you're 20. So I tell the kids, apparently, Rabbeinishram in his infinite wisdom understands our deviant behavior this year 20 so I work with kids in their teenage years I use that concept very much to tell them you're not accountable not only for what happened to you but by extension you were traumatized you responded in trauma and even if you repeat it which is heinous and terrible and we've got to stop it and make amends because you need that healing for yourself you need to make amends because you don't you don't, You probably feel terrible about what you did but the Rebunsham doesn't hate you because he understands until you're 20 you're not an adult you're not fully an adult so you've got time to work on yourself it's a model that is very much more over the Seicher 